Hi, my name is Suze Morrison. I'm the MPP for Toronto Centre. Welcome to my podcast, Stories for Change. You're listening to an education town hall I organized with local parents and trustees about ensuring a safe return to school in September. My name is Suze Morrison, and I'm the member of Provincial Parliament for Toronto Centre. Today, I want to talk about a safe return to school in September. Overwhelmingly, I'm hearing from parents and educators that they're worried about what September looks like. So today, I've brought together school board trustees and some local parents for a virtual town hall on what a safe September looks like. So I'd like to briefly introduce our panelists. First, we have uh, Chris Moyes, who's our TDSB trustee for Toronto Centre. Uh, trustee Moyes has worked as a mental health and addictions counselor at St. Michael's Hospital prior to being elected to the school board. And he's an advocate for equity, anti-racism, anti-homophobia, anti-transphobia, anti-sexism policies uh, within the TDSB, and we're so grateful to have him. We're also joined by our Toronto Catholic District School Board trustee, Norm DiPasquale, for Ward 9, uh, which includes Toronto Centre, Spadina Fort York, University Rosedale, uh, and Toronto St. Paul's. So Norm also sits on the board of the student nutrition charity, the Angel Foundation, uh, and is chair of No Jets TO. Norm has also been an advocate for Safe September for families and staff. Again, very uh, grateful to have him with us today. Uh, we also have uh, some parents with us. Uh, to start, we have Masida Majid, uh, who's a resident of Regent Park and a mother of three ch children that attend TDSB schools. She's also a community worker who's involved in advocacy work, and she's passionate about equity and social justice. Next, we have Helen Hargreaves, uh, who's a parent and child therapist. She works in children's mental health, where she has seen many of the ways children and parents are struggling to make the best choices for their well-being this coming September. And we have Maggie O'Connor, who is the mother of a child entering grade two uh, at Wandering Spirit School. Maggie is very involved in parent council and community organizing, and she specifically focused on conversations around making in-person learning as safe as possible. So I want to thank all of our panelists for joining us here today. Uh, I think we're going to have a really great conversation. So I want to start uh, with one of our parents. I think we'll go to Masita first. Uh, and what can you tell us about uh, what your kids are saying about going back to school? How are your kids feeling right now? Yeah, I think uh, obviously, as most kids, they are all missing school, they miss their friends. But I think my older two are, um, you know, at the age where they understand where they're a little bit confused. Um, they're like, so we've practiced this uh, for the past five months uh, to follow all these rules, but they don't apply in class. Like we're going back to seeing 28 kids and all our friends, um, all of our um, teachers in the same space uh, without being able to social distance um, properly, right? So I think the kids are, even though they miss their friends, not enough to put themselves at risk. And I think for our family, uh, we do have folks uh, that have um, previous uh, medical conditions. So our kids also, even though they're young, they understand, right? They'll be like, oh, will I get sick? Will I bring it back home? Or will somebody else at, else at home get sick? So they're quite um, understanding, I think, and um, not very, like, though they miss their friends, not very um, happy to go back. Yeah. And as a community worker here in the neighborhood, what feedback are you hearing from uh, community members uh, about what the return to school uh, announcements have been? Yeah. Um, well, I do have a lot of parents, especially parents who have kids under the age of 12, um, middle school, elementary school, they call back and they are, when they get the communications from TDSV, sometimes they just need some clarification. And when I explain, well, the schools are looking to open, reopening in this way, um, and even the parents are a little bit confused and they're like, okay, so the rules are that we must social distance. We must have these protocols in workspaces, in uh, public spaces, in our parks, but they don't apply when we're in school. And I'm like, yeah, it seems so, right? Um, and that's a valid point. And a lot of the parents that I've spoken to or have called me are not looking forward to sending their kids back with the existing um, things that we have in place right now. Yeah. And what sort of measures do you think you'd like to see um, from the ministry or from the school boards uh, that you think would help uh, make September safe for not just children, but also education workers as well? Right. Yeah, I think number one is to listen to what parents and educators are saying, right? Um, parents are and educators are on the ground with the kids. 
right? They um, know what's best for the kids. And I think listening to what folks are saying is important, right? They need to be part of the discussion and they need to be um, part of the planning as well. And I think smaller classes or shorter days, um, whatever it is, at the end of the day, we need to keep folks safe. We need to keep our children safe and our staff safe. And our children and our educators are not living in bubbles, right? They come home to their families. They come home to their communities. So um, that's a concern. And also, particularly for me, we know that racialized and marginalized communities are uh, much more impacted. And um, my children attend school where we have a lot of um, underhoused families, low income families. So that is definitely something that uh, folks that called me and myself have been very worried about. Yeah, thank you so much, Masita. Uh, maybe that's a, a good uh, uh, shift to maybe pop over to one of our school board trustees um, and see how things are looking on the school board side. Um, and I think we'll go to Chris Moyes first. Uh, and so to Chris, you know, we've heard a lot about what the ministry is asking of school boards, uh, but a lot has been left up to the individual boards in terms of, you know, creating their own plans to meet the their individual school's needs. Um, so is there anything specific that you'd like to share about um, what the TDSB's approach um, has been in terms of preparing for September? Well, thank you, Suze, for inviting me here to today. Uh, it was nice to spend time talking to you about school issues. Um, it's been a difficult year. You know, normally, you know, we start to wind things down in June at the school board. And here we are now in almost mid-August and we're all going full tilt. We only passed our budget a week yesterday and um, the vice chair of budget. And so it's a 20, um, sorry, $3.4 billion budget. And within that budget, we've actually overspent $23 million for COVID cost alone, which is not covered by the ministry. Um, so that's above and beyond. So we're making sure we have PPE in place. We have hand sanitizer. We're getting uh, signs for, for students. Um, even the, the minute thing of actually even busing and having PPE for the bus driver and social distancing in the buses. When we decided yesterday as a school board, we're actually going to make sure that um, all kids have masks on when they're on the bus, even though they're not, you know, they say, you know, you don't need to have masks on if you're from uh, SK to uh, grade three. So it's all these things. Another issue too is that, you know, the ministry says that, um, you know, SK to grade three, you know, mask is optional, but yet we also have split classes at the TDSB for three and four. So how does that work? There's a lot of questions. And also too, I mean, another thing too is that, you know, Yes, you know, we have uh, different criteria for high school kids in that, you know, 15 per class, half of them stay home and synchronous learning and the other half come in the next day. But yet it's, diff it's a different uh, for, for younger kids. So parents are concerned, community is concerned, uh, teachers are concerned, right? And, and, and I understand that. And there's a lot of unknowns. So we're doing our best as a school board to mitigate some of these problems. And, you know, as you're as uh, uh, Masita said too, you know, we also recognize um, people in marginalized communities are, have a greater if, you know, impact when it comes to COVID, right? You know, the Northeast, Northeast and the Southwest of the city, right? And we know we have the stats to show where people, because minorities are impacted by this. And one of the things I asked my, you know, staff of the board is that, you know, how do we mitigate that, right? It's an equity issue. And it affects us here in Toronto Center you know, just as much as it does in, you know, Scarborough and Etobicoke. So again, you know, funds are finite, you know, um, and even though I said in, in my intro that, you know, we've allocated $23 million for COVID costs, but that's only for four months of the school year, the first portion of the school year. So we don't know what's going to happen beyond the four months, right? And you may have heard an announcement yesterday that the ministry stated, or the minister stated that he'll um, allocate $50 million uh, to schools for ventilation. But then again, too, I mean, $50 million for, you know, 72 school boards, I'm not quite sure how you're going to do that, right? And I'm not quite sure what our portion is going to be at TDSB. And a lot of our, our windows don't open. Um, I had a, a ward forum yesterday, you know, we had 700 people on the call. And, you know, and clearly there's an interest on this because there's a lot of questions. And, you know, and to be honest, there's a lot of questions I don't have answers to. But we are, you know... Um, trying to get through it. 
uh, one of the things that were asked, for example, you know, was um, not outdoor education, but outdoor learning, right? And one of the things we're concerned about is that if, first of all, it costs to have a tent up and to ventilate it and even heat in the winter months. But also, too, in that, you know, we cannot um, ensure that those tents, if we were to purchase them, would be not be vandalized after school hours. So we don't have the resources to actually have someone, you know, um, making sure they're okay. So, again, there's, there's, there's again, a lot more ans questions than answers. Um, and I know that, you know, we sent out a survey this week to our um, parent community. I'm sure Ms. that must have received one. If you have three kids, you get three calls, right? Um, one of the issues that we faced is that you principals don't get back into schools until next week. So I know these people have had problems um, um, registering and, you know, whether they're going to send their kids to school or not, and calling the school for assistance and trying to get the live person to assist. And uh, our principals have a 10-year contract. You know, they are unionized staff themselves. So we've been negotiating with them to come back a little early. So we'll be back next week, Monday. Um, teachers are not back in the classroom. Again, you know, we have to respect um, um, their, their, their union uh, contracts and so on and so forth. So again, like there's a lot of things that are going on, but I'm hoping, like, fingers crossed, that, you know, things will work out in the end. Uh, we are nimble. We, we adjust as, um, as things uh, progress. Um, we keep an open mind. And um, I know yesterday the minister said we could spend 2% uh, more of our, um, uh, into our, our reserve fund, which is problematic too, because we've already spent 1% above and beyond. And that money is for sick time, you know, and some other things for staff. If something were to, the wheels were to fall off, you know, we would, I don't know where we'd get the money to replenish that. And so, and again, if we were to spend the extra 1%, which is 2%, you know, what happens the following year? Is the ministry going to cover that? <laughs> Do we have to make that up somehow? Because again, 85% 80, of our funding is for staffing. And the rest, you know, goes to, we, we put it in areas of equity, you know, Kids who need the extra help, let's say in Regent Park or St. Jamestown, we'll put a little more extra in there for social work or, or, or you know, um, spec ed or whatever, right? So, like, well, so when you, when you take resources out of the system like that, you know, you also take away from our children who need it the most, and it becomes an even greater equity issue. So I'm, I'm probably just scrambling on and I probably didn't answer your question, but no, you I'll, stop there for, <laughs> I'll stop there for now. No, you did a great job. And I, I do, I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing at the school board. Um, you know, you've been tasked with, you know, a monumental uh, project to try and make our school safe and you're doing it with, you know, a fraction of the resources that you actually need mm -hmm. to do it. Um, and so I think, you know, my next question to you would be, you know, what, what support do you need from the provincial government, from Doug Ford and Minister Lecce, um, that you're not currently seeing that, that, that the board really needs to make September safe? Well, we're a service industry, right? And, you know, our service is people, right? Our most valuable resource, you know, to our students is warm bodies in the classroom. And, um, and, and we... <laughs> One of the things parents have said to us, you know, is that, you know, they want smaller class sizes. And I think Masita also alluded to that also. And we want smaller class sizes too. As trustees, we've actually sent um, motions for, to the ministry asking for, um, you know, PPE to be covered, right? COVID costs to be covered. Uh, we're asking for more um, resources for, for staffing. And, um, you know, those sort of things. And uh, they really have not produced at all. It was actually quite disappointing, right? And, but we continue to advocate as a board. And, um, and it's also great to see that even last night at my ward forum, a lot of those people on the call actually sent emails to the ministry and to the um, premier's office. And I think, you know, as a result of all the advocacy going on, um, they tend to um, produce a little bit, right? And you see that from yesterday's announcement. And I think that's because of the advocacy that, that, that is continuing. And I think we'll 
continue to see them um, doing more, hopefully. That is my hope. And I, and I said to uh, the uh, people in the call yesterday, like, continue to send emails to the ministers, send emails to the, to the premier's office. So hopefully, you know, by the, sorry, by the end of this, we'll, um, we'll get to a place where, you know, where, where we're somewhat not so entrenched so negatively. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Like I said, uh, you know, we really appreciate your work. Um, and I think that note around advocacy is a really important one as well. And I think <clears throat> maybe on that note, we might pop over to Maggie, uh, who I know has been involved in a lot of parent organizing uh, as well. I know you were out in front of my office, I think a few weeks ago uh, for the protest uh, that was here uh, for a safe September. Um, and it was really great to see, you know, all the parents and, uh, and kids in the community coming out um, to, you know, collect position signatures and, and, and raise their concerns. Uh, so we were really grateful to have you. Um, but, you know, as from your perspective as a parent, you know, what's it been like for you to decide, uh, you know, what's the best, uh, choice for your child and for your family, uh, considering, uh, Ford's announcements and how back to school is shaping up right now? Yeah, um, I guess, uh, thanks for inviting me into the conversation. Um, for my own family, we keep feeling like we're in like a wait and see mode. We still haven't seen anything that we gives us confidence, even though like our, our, like, by far our preference is for our daughter to go into the classroom and be amongst her peers. She's just going to be seven years old. So um, her experience online, even though her teacher's did an amazing job providing like a really great online experience in the spring, um, you know, the novelty wore off really quickly because she really wanted to be with their friends. And at that age, they don't really, um, you know, sit down and have a phone call or a meeting like this. They just are very physical and social. And that's where all the magic happens in school at that age. It's all about the relationships. So, um, yeah, like the biggest thing that's like on our minds as parents is in our household is just like, how are we going to DIY this? Which is what we've done with so many things that happen in the school whenever there's a shortage of resources. So I just feel like it's not surprising. It's just really unfortunate timing because people are so exhausted <laughs> from dealing with the pandemic um, that like for it to fall again on like the shoulders of families. Um, obviously it's like very difficult. So the school community will of course like figure out how to make it as safe as possible for their own fam families and neighbors. Um, but obviously that's a huge equity issue. And so that's like a huge concern as well. Yeah. Yeah. And in a perfect world, uh, what does a safe September look like for you and your family? What sort of supports and resources uh, do you need to see flowing from the provincial government to support um, the schools in our communities? Yeah. So I guess like in a perfect world, it would be like, like a response that would be to COVID in general, how it's affected our lives in kind of more of a holistic way. Like, um, okay, perfect world, full vision. Um, I would love to see like a rethinking of school and work week and just totally separate out the childcare idea of school day because obviously, especially in Toronto, like public daycare would be really helpful in general. Um, but like in a response to COVID, shortening the school week and the work week would help people take care of their families a little bit better and manage the stress of the whole situation. And that would give more space to um, mitigating the risks. And it's like, we, our family doesn't see the risks being mitigated, like the biggest one being um, that uh, indoor air quality is like the main factor that we're watching for a solution on. So like um, even social distancing doesn't really solve the problem for people who are in the same room throughout the whole day. And like the biggest factor seems to be like full uh, air exchange, which can't even be like renovated or retrofitted into like the school buildings that we have in this way because they simply weren't like designed for for that type of air exchange. So, you know, like a holistic solution would be like income security, which would support housing security and, you know, separated out, subsidized childcare and, um, 
my personal like solution to those things right now that I'm trying to figure out with people in the community is like an outdoor education solution. Um, our idea is that like the more that kids are outside, uh, getting that fresh air and that in an air exchange, um, then the indoor spaces can really be maximized for the kids who uh, need to be indoors more and for all the indoor stuff that happens regardless. Like, you know, um, so you'd be able to like design traffic flow better and make safer spaces for everyone who is inside for whatever programming needs to happen in there. So that would, that would be our like ideal uh, scenario for September. Yeah, and I know you've been uh, quite an advocate for more outdoor learning opportunities. Um, and what kind of feedback are you getting from other parents uh, in the community around that? I guess there have been like a few main sort of types of feedback. Some parents who are like already interested in that, usually they've had some experience with um, how valuable outdoor education is in terms of like a style of learning. So that like some kids... Um, get a more interactive experience with like nature-based learning and land-based learning and that can be great for younger kids I mean even all kids <laughs> um, and so those parents are like fully involved in trying to advocate for it and then there are some who um, like need to be introduced to those concepts and there are different programs happening around Toronto that help sort of illustrate that like Opal and Ojibikans and um, Pine Project and things like that. There are probably lots of them. Um, and then there are some people who are just maybe like concerned about their like outdoor learning is um, not traditional enough or academic enough or not technologically oriented enough. And so um, I guess it's just like a, ma a matter of like, for me, it's just a matter right now of uh, making this the school day as safe as possible so it's just reminding or introducing the idea that like how are you what is the safest version of educate like a school day for kids at this time um and especially because like the younger kids can't or won't wear masks i think that that's probably why they have said that they don't have to but masks would be really helpful but obviously it doesn't work for that age group so that, those are kind of the, the topics. Um, also, people have a lot of questions about, like, what would it look like? Where would it happen? Um, lots of ideas have come out around that, like, um, making uh, local parks and playgrounds into classrooms. Some schools have front lawns. Um, uh, Chris mentioned about tents and things like that, different kinds of structures. Uh, some schools might just get additional play structures that are more appropriate for just different age groups or collaborate with um, service providers who are like doing gardening and things like that and just expand upon those programs. Um, it seems like for the schools that are interested, they already have some teachers in their faculty who are already doing that type of program who can then kind of like promote it amongst and find out what other teachers in the school are interested in learning, developing their classrooms in that way. And then um, those teachers can go out and then the teachers who prefer to be in can do more of the indoor programming. And um, so those are, those are all the sort of topics that are happening around the idea of outdoor education. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really great. And, you know, I think especially from, you know, an indigenous perspective, being able to offer more um, land-based learning um, opportunities, particularly for, um, you know, indigenous kids in our school system. Um, but it, it is it is trickier to navigate, I think, in, in places like downtown Toronto, where we just don't have access uh, to the same sorts of spaces as, you know, for example, a school board in Algoma. Um, so it's it's a different framing in a in an urban context for sure. Uh, but I think we'll pop over to Helen uh, for a second because Helen actually has a really um, interesting perspective uh, because you're a therapist who works with children. Um, and, sure you know, am. we've been talking a lot so far about, you know, what the physical health um, and safety of, of children and education workers looks like as we go back into September. Uh, but I, I, I think a really important part of this conversation as well that I think is impacting uh, parents' decisions about, you know, what back to school looks like is, um, you know, the current state of mental health um, that uh, many ch children in our communities are experiencing. Um, what has it been like for you as a, as a therapist working with children, uh, you know, pre-COVID and, and post-COVID, and, and what are some of the, you know, mental health challenges that you're, uh, you know, seeing pop up um, through your work 
uh, that, you know, many children and families might be facing that are new to them right now? I, I think, I, I think it's less about things are new is that they've just gotten way more intense. Um, so that the, the pressures that families were under, the cracks that are already there, COVID's added financial pressure and maybe housing pressure, maybe they're scared of being evicted and those existing challenges, because like parenting is super hard, um, have just gotten bigger and that those are um, leaving, leaving families so exhausted and struggling to get everyone's needs met is I would say the most of the people I'm seeing. And then there's also this other interesting group of people that I've stopped seeing because when school closed, um, their kids' mental health actually got a whole lot better, which is, I think, the other piece of this discussion that we need to be looking at is that um, a lot like sort of, I think Mayhew was alluding to, it, normal wasn't working for a lot of our kids, um, that a lot of our kids were finding school really hard. There, were, there weren't enough special ed supports. The classes were already too big. And so, um, so some of those kids are really trying to figure out, like are now under stress looking at going back because um, it's not something they're looking back, looking forward to with excitement because the school hasn't been great at meeting their needs so far. And I think, you know, I think we need to do better than get back to normal. I think we need a, something that's better than normal because normal was already leaving a lot of people behind. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and so what steps do you think that, you know, the Ontario government needs to take then um, to support children's mental health as we move forward uh, and in a way that is a new normal uh, that we can, we can move forward with in a better way? I, oh, I feel like I would love for them to, I, I would love to see evidence that this is something that's on their radar at all. Um, I feel like through the reopening, I keep seeing stuff that really makes me feel like mental health isn't on the radar and, and children aren't on the radar, right? Like, unless you can make money, it hasn't been a priority. So, you know, I could shop at Winners, you know, and browse things that a bunch of other people had tried on, but I couldn't take my kid to a splash pad, right? I could have a babysitter come if I was giving them money, but I couldn't have family come over. Right? Like there are all these places that it feels, so I would love um, to know that they have somebody at the table that's actually thinking about well-being and mental health in addition to sort of safety from the uh, epidemic and economic needs. Because I feel like the decisions just keep being those two things looking, um, looking at those two things and not much else. Um, and then if we wanted to dream big and do more than like, you know, open splash pads at the same time as other things. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think everybody's being asked to do too much with too little, right? I think teachers are being asked to do too much with too little. I think parents are being asked to do too much too with too little. Kids are being asked to do a lot of things. Kids are being, you know, pressured to pick streams in grade eight that'll affect the rest of their lives like it's so stressful to be a kid right now um so i would love just you know i'd love there to be smaller classes um for social distancing but also you know to meet the social emotional needs of these kids because they're they're coming back being really lonely and not spending a lot of time having spent a lot of time with their friends so they're not just going to need extra small classes for social distancing, they're going to need more teacher time to get back from all the academics they lost last year to get back for social for to be, you know, have mask wearing and hand washing supported to have the anxiety about what does it mean that I'm in a room with people in a way I've been told was dangerous for the last five months and now I just do it. You know, who's, who's the adults that's there to help them deal with that. Um, so yeah, that's, I just, more, yeah, more supports so that people, we can be, you know, the beautiful, fallible people we are without those faults becoming giant cracks that make everything fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're also a parent though. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a parent, what's it been like to decide uh, what's best for your child's health and your education? 
Um, and how is your family navigating um, decisions around what September looks like right now? Oh, I mean, it's been awful. Honestly, I think um, there's been so little information and the information that comes out is so confusing. Um, I, and, and from the province, I really don't, um, I feel like the, the TDSB is working as hard as it possibly can. Thank you, Chris, uh, my kids in the TDSB. Um, and, but th there's just, you know, so there'll be, so, you know, we'll hear rumblings of things like, okay, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be part-time, two days on, two days off. And then we start trying to figure out, well, what would that look like for work schedules? And what would that look, you know, okay, could we make that work? Maybe we could make that work. What would that mean for my kid's IEP? How would that be, you know, and then we sort of run down all these options and then it's, oh, it's not that, it's something else. Um, and okay, well, they'll be going to class this way. Oh, but yes, they'll wear masks. Oh, not your age will wear masks. And so, you know, and like having to choose, you know, on between online learning when no one's really clarified even exactly what that's going to be other than that it's going to be different than what happened on the spring in the spring and back to normal, except we all know that it, it's far from normal. Um, so I'm really feeling like I'm not um, on the province. I don't have a partner working, helping me make the decisions that are best for my kid. I have, um, and I'm hearing that from lots of parents trying to figure out, you know, well, how do we respond to the system that ensures funding? And I want to do this for my kid, but I don't want my school to lose money and having to sort of play it like it's some sort of crazy board game instead of just looking at what the best needs of our kids are. Um, which is incredibly exhausting. Yeah, that sounds so frustrating and so scary. Um, I think maybe we'll pop over to Norm for a minute and check in and see how things are going um, at the Catholic school board side. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, is, has your experience differed from Chris's? Um, you know, how is your board uh, managing the relationship with the ministry and the government right now? And, and what sort of supports are you looking at? And, and, and what sort of challenges are you seeing going into September? Yeah, I mean, our approach, we're trying to lead with compassion, safety, and equity. Uh, we double the funding for our student nutrition program. Um, we're also trying to address equity by focusing on the hardest hit COVID-19 communities in Toronto and trying to arrange COVID of, um, cohorts of 15 in those communities. Um, we're also trying to be creative cohorting our kindergarten students. Uh, we just have to try literally every trick in the book to try to make this a safe September. Um, with, with whatever resources we have, which of course are limited. Um, you know, we, we've put, um, you know, Chris mentioned 23 million in their COVID emergency fund. We have 5 million in our fund and we are going to spend uh, all of our reserves. I, you know, if we have an emergency, I'm not sure what we're going to do. Um, I'm also trying to encourage active transportation to school because the school bus situation is going to be uh, dicey at the start of school. So trying to encourage the city to bring in quiet streets around our schools. Um, and just trying to do anything we can to encourage our students to walk and cycle to school as well. And what sort of supports, again, in, in a perfect world, would you like to see flowing uh, from the provincial government um, to help you as a board uh, do the work that you need to do to keep the school safe? Yeah, so I mean, it, you know, it's, it's incumbent on the government to fund a safe September. It's not incumbent on the small reserves that we have. So I want the government to fully fund a safe September in cohorts of 15, you know, address the terrible school backlog of $16 billion in Toronto. Um, you know, the past two governments have really not moved this forward at all. And it's part of why we find ourselves in this situation. Um, in Toronto, we talk about schools that can be upwards of 200 years old. What ventilation? Right. I mean, it's, it's essentially their windows. Um, we really do need funding and we needed that funding yesterday. Um, when I say yesterday, I don't mean literally yesterday when uh, the minister announced the funding for the ventilation, because that's far too late. Projects would take four to six months to, to take place now. So even if that funding did arrive now, there's, there's precious little we can do with it. So we are out of time. Um, they had time since March to get this right. And here we are with uh, many, many parents concerned and not wanting to put their students back in school because they don't feel safe. We are, we are trying our level best and we are working every single day of the summer to make it happen, but um, we, we needed more support from the ministry. Yeah, and I think too, it's really important to note, I mean, that announcement from the minister is a drop in the bucket. 
Um, you know, it wouldn't even pay for the capital repair backlog in Toronto Centre schools alone. We'd need about double what was announced to address the capital repair backlog just in Toronto Centre schools. And our riding is only about seven square kilometres big. Um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't go far enough, but we didn't get here overnight, right? Like the, the capital repair backlog in our ventilation systems in schools across Ontario is the result of 15 years of negligence and underfunding. Uh, and the second our school boards have had to try to mount a response to a crisis, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're paying, we're playing catch up now on 15 years of underfunding and neglect. Um, and it's, you know, you shouldn't be having to figure out um, you know, how to, how to get caught up on 15 years of, of missed uh, maintenance work on ventilation systems when we should be prioritizing, uh, you know, how to deal with smaller class sizes and social distancing and adapting our programs. Um, you know, the last thing we should be worrying about is the ventilation systems because it should have been dealt with uh, over the last two decades. Um, so, I, you know, I certainly uh, share your frustration and, and I think that's why you know, education needs to be something that's invested in adequately every single year, uh, not just um, in a in a moment of crisis. Um, it's not it's not the way forward to a to a better a better future that's going to work. Um, Norm, what are you hearing from from parents, um, and, and what are some of the fears and concerns you're hearing from parents? Yeah, so I mean, we, every town hall we hold is the most attended town hall we've ever held. So parents are very concerned and, you know, we, we've had to get to survey them to see if they're coming back to school. And, you know, as Chris alluded to, you know, there's, there's some confusion there and then the ministry drops more announcements and parents get more confused. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're very concerned about the class sizes first and foremost. Um, you know, then secondly, there's a lot of questions about what, what's remote learning going to look like? What's it going to look like, say, for French and Marine? Um, you know, what is what is high school going to look like? And then the high school model just changed two days ago because of direction from the ministry. So, you know, we keep trying to explain a moving target, which is already hard to explain in the first place. Um, but I, I, parents are largely concerned about safety and it's, it's safety is driving their decision. And I truly cannot blame them one little bit. Yeah, it sounds like as trustees, you're both trying to, you know, put the wheels on the bus as you're driving it down the highway. Um, yeah. and I, I, I can't even imagine um, the task that, that you're trying to undertake there. Um, you know, when we look at from an equity perspective, um, and maybe we'll go to Chris for a second as well. Um, you know, how do you feel about the online learning components? Um, and how confident are you that um, kids across our board have access to uh, the internet access that they need, the, the technology that they need, um, and from, a, from an equity lens, uh, you know, are the kids that, you know, are, are in the lowest uh, poverty uh, levels, uh, are they going to be really hard hit by, by what that looks like? Well, the one good thing is when, um, if there's a silver lining here, is that back in March when um, school closed, uh, we as a board issued 65,000 um, uh, iPads and to, to our students who needed it. And seven of those iPads actually, um, we provided um, six months free internet on it for those who didn't have it. So, so that, that helped with the equity gap. And those kids still have those devices today. And I know that uh, based on conversation I had with the uh, senior team uh, this past week, um, some of those uh, devices broke. <laughs> and so we we're trying to get them replaced for September because, you know, with synchronous learning and online learning, um, that's an essential piece, an equity piece. Um, also, too, I should add, you know, um, for our staff, you know, there is some concern. So we've actually given them the option of either um, teaching online or coming into the classroom. So we're not forcing our staff to come into the, the classroom. And based on our surveys that we, we've compiled this past week and still getting more, more coming in uh, still, 80% of, of, of respondents so far have said that they will be sending their kids to school. So we have an idea uh, so far as of what that may look like. Um, and so we can prepare. So even though, you know, like uh, elementary uh, uh, SK 
to to grade eight, you know, 30 kids, I guess, in the classroom um, in general. I'm, we're thinking with the reduction of some of the kids not coming to school, that may actually bring the class size down. But we'll see, right? And for those that um, are not in school, for whatever reason, if they get COVID or, you know, they, we are providing um, Google Classroom and Brightspace. Those are the two platforms that will be used. Um, it, it will be, the class will be recorded, so kids will have access um, to that material if and when they need it. And again, in regards to um, uh, secondary, um, mental health is, a, which was alluded to by Helen earlier, is a big part, especially for kids in high school. You know, I don't want to go too far back, but based on our surveys uh, two years ago, like our kids' mental health are at a crisis point. The social media and everything and the pressures of university and everything else in between, they are on the, a breaking point. I don't want to talk about suicide rates right now on this platform, but it's a, it's a concern to us. Um, you know, um, some of our schools here in Toronto Centre, I will not mention any one school, but, you know, we have put more social workers and resources in some of our schools because it is an issue. And I suspect with COVID and people being at home, um, that may even, you know, affect people even more. And we're very much aware of that. So some of our students need to come back to school um, for that reason alone. And also we know that there's um, abuse in the household, you know, and different types of things going on. Schools is just a safe space for, you know, at least 10% of our population. So again, like, it's important that we know how our kids are doing if they're in front of us, right? And then, you know, they also have a safe adult they can speak to if they have issues. All those things are not taking place right now. So as a system, you know, uh, for that reason, <laughs> that reason alone, I, we, I would like to see more kids back in school. Um, another piece too that was touched on by Helen was you know, the, you know, IEPs and you know, um, we have two congregate sites of the TDSB, one of them is actually in my ward and the other side, University of Rosedale. But a lot of our students in Toronto Centre actually go to, um, to that school. And um, it's important that kids with a disability and mental health issues, um, you know, serious cognitive issues, you know, have the support. They need to be in school because, I mean, parents cannot do this alone, right? And, and, and the school is a big part of the kids' mental health and the parents' mental health. Because right now, these parents are home 24-7 caring for their children with little to no support. I can only imagine what my heart goes out to them. So, um, and we've talked about um, PPEs for, 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 those, for those schools, right? I mean, like, because they have to be so hands-on. I mean, literally, you know, lifting the kids, holding them, you know, helping them breathe, you know, with suction tubes, all those things. You know, we need to make sure that uh, our staff has all the resources that they need to really help those kids. So, and yes, we have no money, but I, I think, you know, under these circumstances, we need to find it. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned as to going into further debt to do that. That's a discussion we're gonna have on Monday at the school board. Um, I haven't yet decided what, how I'm gonna vote for that, or what I'm gonna do about that, but it's something I really, I struggle with it, but, um, is something I'm going to spend the weekend thinking about, but uh, I hope that, and again, I, I hope the ministry, you know, really look deep, you know, within themselves and just provide the resources that our kids need. Our kids are the most vulnerable people in our society, right? You know, we as adults advocate for them. They can't advocate for themselves. And we do them a disservice when, you know, we don't provide them with the basic necessities that they need to really survive because, you know, education is a survival piece. And um, again, I never answer your questions about it, I'm going to tend as usual, but um, this is so important to me and important to you as well and, and the people on this, on this call. And I just, we just continue, need to continue, uh, keep pushing. Yeah. yeah thank you.
Well, thank you so much. Uh, I think maybe we'll pop back to Maggie really quick. I, you know, I know that, you know, you're connected to Wandering Spirit School, um, which is a, an Indigenous-centered school. Uh, what sort of um, equity considerations um, are folks uh, at Wandering Spirit talking about um, in terms of what supports um, are needed there to go back in September? Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to uh, mention that I'm a non-Indigenous parent there. So I have a specific sort of channel for myself in terms of how I participate in um, allyship and things like that. And I just wanted to mention that because um, I don't like speak on behalf of anyone else in the community. So um, yeah, in terms of like the conversations that I've been having with the parents who are friends of mine who have um, their kids there as well and who I work with in parent council, um, it's really um, a lot of it is where they, um, it is all equity oriented, I would say. Um, like families who are sending their kids back, who I'm friends with, and I can like, feel comfortable sharing that. Um, they're sending their kids back because they have to go to work and they feel like their kids um, need to have the resources and relationships uh, that are available through the school. So a lot of that is like, why I feel like um, not all of the uh, kids staying home and using remote learning are, um, what am I trying to say here? Basically, like a lot of kids will go back to school because their parents uh, don't have the resources to create like a private um, educational or childcare situation for them at home. So um, a lot of the conversations are about how this is like really uh, creating a, an like widening the gap between um, the uh, socioeconomic experiences of students who are going to be in school and kids who are going to be out of school. And then um, some parents are, the parents who are keeping their kids home from school are like having one parent um, take leave of absence from work um, because so that's like a different socioeconomic like privilege where you can have a stay-at-home parent who like feels confident enough to be able to take on that like homeschooling kind of role and coordinate with other parents and things like that and then there's a lot of concerns that come up around that in terms of like is that really safer for kids like you know are there going to be vulnerable sector screenings for every person in a private home and for every tutor and what kind of discipline is happening or like um what kind of conflict resolution is happening between the kids, like all of the things that we don't really, that are not necessarily COVID related, but like also a really important part of like keeping your kid in school in the public system. Um, can you remind me of your question? <laughs> no, no, I think that was good. That was I think, no, and I think you about. touched on um, an important part too about, you know, having the privilege to be able to have a, um, a parent stay home. Um, and in your experience, the, the families that you've talked to that, that are, are looking at as an option, um, you know, would you say it's primarily, um, you know, uh, one of the, the women parents uh, in the households that, that are staying home? And, and are we going to see a furthering of things like a, a gender wage gap um, happening as a side effect of COVID because it's predominantly, uh, you know, women in our communities that are um, taking on that homeschooling and, and um, home parenting uh, responsibilities? I, I, I don't know if you've uh, noticed. Oh, yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> 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 uh yeah i mean it's 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 completely the case but it already was like one of the things that was making schools vulnerable to privatization in this way because like a lot of schools that are so under-resourced in our system really rely heavily on parent counsel which is often like for the most part it's mothers who are doing that um in their spare time it's like free labor it's that whole sort of yeah like domestic, free labor, women's work, whatever, that whole thing. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on that in this moment, but definitely um, for the most part, the people who are participating on the, in the conversations and doing all of the organizing are mothers, um, except for in the case of my friend who also go to the same school as me. Um, you know, it's a mom who works in healthcare, so it's actually her, like her, the 
dad of the kids who's staying home. So they're like, uh, you know, different uh, in a different, they're the sort of, um, you know, the ones who don't fit that rule, but basically it is a mom's, um, but that is another question that is happening where like, you know, um, for her, she feels like she's already taking enough risks as a frontline worker that like sending her kids back into the school system might mean, um, you know, that their risk management for their household just feels, you know, so impossible. And so those are also like the types of concerns that I'm hearing people talk about. And I guess that's like sort of the one thing that w is the common thread between all these conversations is like, is the, how's the risk being mitigated? And it seems like it's not happening at the ministry level. It's hard for that to be passed down to the board then it comes down to like the individual principal and their individual building and situation. And then it's the parent council. And then it just like the risk just lands on the children and the families, which as Chris mentioned, that's like the most vulnerable um, part of it. Like it should be the opposite. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's, that's sort of what I'm hearing. From yeah. The people I'm speaking with. Yeah. So I think we're we're just about uh, running out of time. Um, so first off, I just want to thank uh, all of the panelists for joining us here today. I think we had a really interesting conversation, and I want to thank all of you uh, for sharing your perspectives with us. Uh, and I just uh, want to give anyone a chance if there's anything we didn't uh, get to, if anything has anything they want to add uh, quickly before we wrap. Yeah, Chris. Thank you, Susan, once again. Just wanted to uh, just state that um, principals will be back in their classrooms on Monday. So if parents need to speak to a live person, please reach out to your school principal. And second, um, you know, our website's updated every day, several times a day. Uh, there's tons of information uh, on there. There's actually even a presentation um, slideshow uh, as to back to school uh, steps. So I encourage you to go to tdsv.on.ca and uh, take a look, it's on, our, it's on our homepage. And um, I think it's very useful. So if anything, start there first, <laughs> all right? And, it, and if you have any issues or questions or concerns, you could always reach out to me directly and you can find me on the same website. <laughs> Thanks. Fantastic, thanks, Chris. Uh, and Norm, I think you had a, I think I saw your hand up for a quick Thank second. You. Uh, I just wanted to direct parents to keep advocating. Uh, you can go through the Ontario NDP website. Uh, there's plenty of petitions there, and you can also check out the Ontario Parent Action Network. Let's keep fighting for a safe September. Thank you so much, Norm. Uh, and any other last comments? No? Okay. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us here today. It was a great conversation. Uh, so thank you, miigwech. take action, you can follow the Ontario Parent Action Network on Facebook or call my office to be connected to local parents who are organizing for a safe and high quality public education here in Toronto Centre.